Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Hello, once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. It's the BangTheBook.com's MLB and KBO betting podcast for Monday, July 6th. I am your host, Adam Burke. This and every edition of the Betters Box presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code 100% deposit match bonus for the sports book 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at bet DSI it's only a game until you bet it I think this is going to be the last week for the KBO article over at bangthebook.com I will keep updating the bullpen spreadsheet so you'll still have that once again make sure you bookmark that so you can have access to that sheet but A lot of other pressing matters on the horizon here. We've got not only golf, NASCAR, and UFC still going on, but the NHL and the NBA expected to come back here later in the month. We'll do some more stuff with some MLB futures, so long as that looks like it's still going to be on schedule. But also, too, we're just going to have the ramp-up to the college football and the NFL seasons. Lots of other things going on over at bangthebook.com. So, unfortunately, the KBO will be the one that kind of gets hacked off a little bit there like I said I'll still do that bullpen spreadsheet still talk about it a little bit here on the show at least until Major League Baseball starts on July 23rd but this will probably be the last week here for that daily KBO article over at bangthebook.com again I mean I'm not betting it anymore I'm not tracking anything I lost enough money doing that earlier on in the year so just been writing the article with some breakdowns some statistical dives on the pitchers stuff like that But that's something that's just going to be cut out of the equation here uh, with a limited amount of time as we get back in to all of these other sports that are going on. And like I said, every week we're still covering golf, NASCAR, UFC. There was an IndyCar race over the weekend. Uh, We had Formula One over the weekend as well, wrote about that. Uh, So, again, just other stuff going on that we're going to focus our attentions on over at the website. I wrote updated NHL and NBA futures on on Sunday morning going to be trying to do some series preview type stuff for the NHL and the NBA and whatnot here throughout the month of July like I said more Major League Baseball stuff as more futures get posted as we get you know maybe a better idea of what things are actually going to look like here so again we're keeping it busy over at bangthebook.com please keep it tuned to everything that we have going on over there We'll start with the Monday mailbag here. I got one Monday mailbag question, and then I'll ask and answer my own question here. But our question today comes from our good buddy, Rich Lamons, and a good piece from him over on our front page, bangthebook.com right now, regarding why you shouldn't buy points in the NFL. He wrote that for us a couple years ago. We dug that back up, put it on the front page. So a good article there from Rich. 
Uh, always a smart guy and a loyal listener here of the podcast content. But Rich asks a very poignant question here. He says, with some teams suffering financial losses more significantly than other teams, do you think that if teams become borderline contenders, they would be willing to offload some payroll just to help the business aspect of this? And then a second question here, as a result of these theoretical transactions, could the rich get richer and create a bigger separation for not only this season, but for seasons to come? I think these are two fascinating questions. And in fact, Jason Stark, uh, I believe now of The Athletic, actually mentioned on a Cleveland radio show here a couple of weeks ago that there are some questions as to whether or not the Indians can't even make their payroll this season. Now, obviously, the Dolans will find a way to do that. They'll borrow money or borrow against something, whatever the case may be. But gate receipts matter a lot more for some teams than others, and the Indians are one of them. The Indians don't have the greatest of TV deals. They do obviously share some of the revenue from the league and kind of get a little bit bigger of a cut from that because they are a smaller market. But gate receipts are a big deal because that's by and large money that exclusively goes to the team. Yes, they have to pay back game day staff and stuff like that, but it's not like concessions where they have to split that with the concession company. And then, of course, you've got all the cost of everything. Margins on apparel are going to vary quite a bit. They're only getting a fraction of the TV money this year. And also, too, if you think back to this past free agent cycle, we had teams in major and minor markets crying poor. You know, the Red Sox couldn't afford Mookie Betts. They traded him. The Cubs bitching and moaning that they didn't have money. Those are two very deep-pocketed organizations. So when you've got smaller markets here, like Cleveland, for example, you know, that are consistently worried about money. And then you've got the larger markets now that are worried about money. And this may just be an optics thing. It may be with the CBA coming down the pike. But there were some teams in some bigger markets that were unwilling to spend. So you wonder here if in this 60-game sprint where you've got a very high-variance environment now, do you get some teams that maybe get off to a bad start kind of cutting some payroll? And the follow-up question to that is, You know, if it's a team like the Cubs or the Red Sox or somebody like that, eventually they'll reallocate that payroll into the the organization, the team. But you've got teams like the Indians that are looking to cut costs any way they can. Teams like the Pirates, who are going to run about a $50 million opening day payroll out there. Those teams may not reallocate that money into the organization. And you look specifically at a team like the Indians. I know this is obviously very Indian-centric here, but... Francisco Lindor. They're not signing Francisco Lindor. There was never any chance that they could sign Francisco Lindor. So what's going to happen is they're going to reach a crescendo here at some point, whether it's this season or this offseason, to where they have to trade him. They have to let him go, try and get something to build around for the future, maybe get some pitching depth, because then the follow-up is they've got Mike Clevenger and Shane Bieber. There's probably only money to sign one of them long-term. Which one they prioritize still remains to be seen, but it means the other one probably gets traded. So this is the cycle of life for a team in a small market. But the question is, do the Indians ever run $130 million payroll again like they have in the past? I don't know if they do. And with the upcoming CBA, 
What happens with contract control of prospects and draft picks, international free agents in particular? What happens with that draft pool, with draft spending? What happens with arbitration? Do players go from three years of ARB to maybe two years of ARB? Well, at that point in time, then you either have to accelerate that timeline and get that guy up to the major leagues a little bit quicker so you get that extra year of production, or maybe you know, we continue to see teams try to find financial loopholes. So one of the, the, the biggest things going on here this season is that you've got this CBA looming. And I'll talk about this in a minute with some of the testing protocols now that have kind of come under fire a little bit. But you've got this CBA looming, and you already had this uncomfortable relationship between owners and players and players and the league and all that. Well, you've kind of seen over the last few years, especially with the advent of sabermetrics, and it's kind of ironic because, look, Fangraphs has always done great work on cost per win and finding bargains and stuff like that. The players feel like, to a degree, sabermetrics and some of these advanced statistics have kind of hurt their earning potential. For some guys, it has helped them. For other guys, it has hurt them. In particular, guys like middle-of-the-rotation starting pitchers. So you've kind of always had this friction between the two sides. Now you've got some of these big market teams crying poor. You've got smaller market teams that don't have any money. You've got these CBA negotiations looming. This could all be very ugly. And something, too, that's going to factor into the equation here, and I'll talk about this specifically during the five-and-fly with a couple of teams, is that with this 60-game sprint, if you're a GM or you're an assistant GM or something like that, you have this decision to make of, do I play these veteran guys that are going to be gone for us in a year or two, or do I try and get some semblance of development out of my prospects when there are no minor league games being played? And what may happen down the line is that for some of these veteran guys, maybe not having this data point, and certainly next year if there's a labor stoppage and a strike, not having that data point, what happens to future earning potential for these over 30 guys that are you know platoon-type players or back-of-the-rotation starters, stuff like that? Teams will be looking to prioritize their prospects this year. So that could also factor into this of teams kind of cutting some payroll, of teams making some trades. So the rich could get richer. It could create a bigger separation, to be sure. Now, on the other hand, the teams that are in smaller markets or maybe looking more towards the future, they'll kind of have some of that development out of the way with some of their prospects, maybe help them compete a little bit quicker. So I don't know the exact answer here, but financially, Major League Baseball is in a very, very weird situation. They're almost kind of in purgatory right now. And... Will this, you know, uh, shortened season bring some more of those issues to the forefront? I think absolutely. And then, of course, going into next year with the potential of a labor stoppage, that could play a big role, too. So it's very, very possible that this, you know, abbreviated season and the new CBA could accelerate some rebuilds for some teams. So, yes, there could be a shedding of payroll. There could be salary dumps at the deadline, stuff like that. It is a very realistic possibility, to say the least. Nobody asked, but the Indians talking about changing their name, so I'll give you my thoughts on that before somebody actually asks. I don't really care. You know, I mean, I I think that, you know, judging by where we kind of are as a society right now, 
judging by the fact that the Indians already sort of disassociated themselves with Chief Wahoo. This isn't the big surprise. It was coming all along. I'll be a fan, you know, irrespective of what the name is. I hope it's not something stupid. I don't need anything rock-related for the Rock Hall or anything like that. Win a World Series, you can call yourselves whatever you want. So I prefer Cleveland Commodores. Uh, you know, obviously the War of 1812 kind of plays a role there with Commodore Perry. Uh, there's, you know, a monument to him in Putin Bay up at the islands. Uh, there's a beer named after him for Great Lakes Brewing Company. I kind of prefer Commodores, but, you know, whatever they come up with, I'll, I'll find a way to deal with. I don't love spiders necessarily, uh, but, you know, whatever they come up with is totally fine. So breaking news that kind of happened here this morning is that, you know, the Washington Nationals have said that they're not hosting team workouts today. Uh, David Force, the GM of the Oakland Athletics, he's been pretty vocal that testing over the weekend didn't go particularly well for Major League Baseball. And on one hand, look, this was inevitable. There were going to be problems. This is a massive infrastructure thing where you're testing a lot of people a lot of times with a quick turnaround period. And, you know, labs can get overwhelmed. Maybe Major League Baseball didn't plan this out all the way. But these things were going to happen. Positive tests were going to happen. Players showing up late, that was going to happen. And now you've got players opting out, which was also going to happen. Players are going to, you know, uh, exercise their freedom of choice if they wanted to play or not. And, of course, the big one out of the weekend, Mike Trout with a pregnant wife, you know, how much does he actually want to be out there? His wife's due in August. Uh, Garrett Cole, his wife just had a baby. You know, is that something where he doesn't want to put his family at risk? Stuff like that. This was all going to happen. And this is why there are 60-player pools for these teams to decide from. The thing about it is every time something like this happens, there's going to be a freak out in the media. There's going to be a freak out of people that are like, well, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This can't happen. This and that. Look, Major League Baseball and the players on a very basic level, everybody understood that there were going to be these hurdles. There were going to be these hardships that there were going to be problems with the testing. It was just going to happen. It was going to be a thing. And guys were also going to test positive. And, you know, there's so much sensationalism out there about everything right now in so many different ways. Some of it warranted, some of it not. This has been happening for a long time. I mean, the media controls the narrative in a lot of ways. This isn't new for coronavirus. This isn't new for Black Lives Matter and the protests and all of that. Different media outlets have different interests, as we all know, and they're able to frame and spin and present things in a certain way. Well, with what's going on here in baseball right now, you've got some people that think they shouldn't even be trying to do this. You've got other people that think that they should. You've got players that are happy to be back and comfortable in the system. Players that aren't happy to be back aren't comfortable in the system. It's just going to be all over the place here. But we knew that these issues were going to happen. We knew that none of this was going to go off seamlessly. It just it, There's too much going on for this to go off without a hitch. So you're going to see a lot of that here today and probably tomorrow and maybe on into Wednesday of you know players voicing that you know, they don't really have a lot of trust in the protocols that are in place, that they don't feel safe, they don't feel comfortable, this and that. It was going to happen, you know, and, and everybody knew this. This is not new information. Seeing it happen firsthand gives everybody a reason to talk about it. But I still think at this point in time, I'm not convinced that the players want to do this. 
I think as a general rule, I'm not convinced that the players as a whole want to do this. Some will do it because they need the money. Others will do it because they want to play. Some won't do it because they don't need the money or they want to make a statement of some kind or whatever else. The fact of the matter is that today will not be the only day that these issues arise. And you're going to have a lot of people out there. They're going to criticize this. They're going to say that we have to shut this down. And maybe they do. And maybe baseball ultimately does. But this is one of the big reasons why, and I've talked about this a lot, and I will continue to harp on this point. This is one of the big reasons why you shouldn't bet into the futures market. Because this is going to continue happening. And players will continue to make those tough decisions as to whether or not they want to play or they want to sit out. And keep in mind, too, and and particularly with some of the players that have pregnant wives and girlfriends, that they may decide to just shut it down in late August or early September or something like that. That will dictate your futures bet, potentially, and what happens. You know, teams may – if Mike Trout plays two weeks and then says, you know what, I got to be there for my wife, I got to be there for my kid, and stops playing, well, that's going to hurt your Angels' futures a lot. So – these things are going to happen. And, you know, again, I mean, I guess we just kind of take it day by day. It's a very fluid situation, as people like to say. So I'm not going to get too involved in futures. I'll write about them. I'll give you some analysis in case you want to do it. But I think it's very challenging here. And, again, the, the fact that there's going to be so much initial reaction to anything and everything that happens could skew the marketplace could skew the idea that maybe we won't have baseball at all. And and who knows, maybe we won't. But this is going to be a day-by-day thing. So, you know, if you're looking to enter the futures market or something like that, just do so with the understanding that these days are going to happen and they're probably going to be pretty frequent. So you have to have that understanding as you go in, knowing that you're betting these futures in a very uncertain environment. And again, hopefully we just have baseball to talk about in general. All right, so here we go. The five and fly for the AL Central. The win total from five dimes. The futures prices from Bet Online. Uh, books are kind of being very cautious right now with posting of futures and stuff like that for obvious reasons, of course, you know, with everything that's going on out there in the news cycle and all that. But, uh, you know, again, as always, shop around for the best prices if this is a market that you want to dive into. And we start here. With the Chicago White Sox, season win total 31 and a half, 20 to 1 to win the World Series, 10 to 1 to win the AL pennant. I'm guessing they'd be plus 350 or 400 or so to win the AL Central. I haven't seen anything uh, recently with prices for that. Maybe a little bit lower now because people do like this team. And they like this team a lot coming into the season. And in fact, too, I'm seeing under juice on the Indians, over juice on the White Sox. So some people may be kind of liking the White Sox a little bit more than the Indians in this format. And look, they could have a very good offense. Eloy Jimenez, he was hurt for a while last year. He's back. Luis Robert, that's a guy that people really like. They picked up Edwin Encarnacion. Yasmani Grandal is a high on base guy. Decent power. Tremendous defensive catcher. That's a big help for this Chicago staff because last year they did not get great catching performances. Their offense is a little bit BABIP-driven, particularly with Yoan Moncada and Tim Anderson. Moncada, a 406 batting average on balls in play last year. Anderson, a 399. That's not sustainable, but at the same time, 
in this 60-game sprint, a lot of variance across a lot of different statistics. So maybe Moncada and Anderson actually can carry very high BABIPs. And if they do that with a stronger middle of the order, this White Sox offense will be quite a bit improved here for this season. Now, the pitching staff is the question that I have. Lucas Giolito has to be really good from day one. And for Giolito, I always question the sustainability of what he did last season. For about a 12-start stretch, he was as dominant as anybody in baseball. Other than that, he was kind of in that 360, 375 range. Not that that's bad by any means, but he has to be the anchor of this staff because Dallas Keuchel, Reynaldo Lopez, Dylan Cease, Gio Gonzalez, these are not guys that I like a whole lot. Now, again, like I said, Grandal will help immensely. Grandal will be a tremendous help as a defensive catcher, but the ceiling is still pretty low for a lot of those guys. So what's going to have to happen here, the White Sox are going to have to out-hit teams in order to have success. And they could very well do it. And again, like I talked about last week when I talked about the AL East, there are a lot of people out there that do believe that the baseball will be juiced, that it will be juiced in order to enhance offense, enhance the interest in Major League Baseball while they're trying to compete with the NHL and the NBA playoffs. And of course, as they're trying to compete with the NFL and hopefully college football. So there's some level of concern from a pitching standpoint that the ball will be juiced, that will have a very high-octane offensive environment. And if that's the case, guys like Keuchel, guys like Lopez, Cease, Gonzalez, they don't miss a lot of bats. Now, for Chicago here, there are some interesting guys in Michael Kopech and Dane Dunning who are two top prospects in this system. And this is one of the things I talked about in the intro to today's show is that you're going to have some teams that are going to have to make these decisions. Do we keep running Reynaldo Lopez and Gio Gonzalez out there when we could use higher upside guys in Michael Kopech and Dane Dunning? Now, the problem for the White Sox is both Kopech and Dunning missed all of last season. So now they're trying to work their way back in this untraditional format. Do you want to put guys like that at risk? Do you give them relief innings and try to improve the bullpen? Because I don't like this White Sox bullpen. I'm not a fan. It's a little bit top-heavy with Kalame and Sishik and, um, and Aaron Bummer, but I don't like this bullpen unit as a whole. So maybe Kopech, who throws triple digits, fits in there as a reliever. Maybe you give him 25 or 30 innings over 60 games as a reliever. Maybe you do the same thing with Dunning. And that's a question that the White Sox have. You know, offensively, they look like they're going to be pretty solid. And they've got Nick Madrigal, who's pretty much ready to go. They've got Andrew Vaughn, who's pretty close to being ready to go. This is a team that's got a lot of upside moving forward. But the question is, do you stay focused on 2019? Do you try to contend and develop simultaneously? Do you focus on as much development as you can for Jimenez and Robert and Moncada? and Kopech, and Dunning, I don't know. The White Sox are kind of in, I don't want to say a state of flux, but they're sort of in a weird spot in that if they get off to a good start, they could be a team that wins this division and makes a push. If they get off to a slower start, do you shift gears? Do you start looking ahead to 2021 and give some younger guys some opportunities? It's an interesting spot that the White Sox are in, to say the least, 
I don't necessarily love them from a future standpoint, but I can see why people think that this team has a pretty high ceiling in this format. The Cleveland Indians here, 33 and a half, their season win total, 22 to one to win the World Series, 12 to one to win the AL pennant. And again, according to the futures numbers at Bet Online, their World Series and with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. AL pennant prices, both higher than what we see here for the Chicago White Sox, even though their season win total higher at five dimes. So that's kind of interesting there. And for the Indians, I mean, look, I don't know what to expect here. They are a top-heavy offense. You've got Francisco Lindor. You've got Jose Ramirez. Then you've got some high-variance guys in Fran Mil Reyes and Domingo Santana. If you get 25 home runs from Fran Mil Reyes, which I don't think is out of the question, that's a huge boost offensively. If you get 15 and he strikes out 40% of the time, that's not so good offensively. Domingo Santana, same thing. Very high-variance player makes some good contact, hits for power, but can carry a low average, can carry a little bit of a lower on-base percentage because he strikes out a ton. Carlos Santana, off of a career year in his mid-30s, that's probably not sustainable. But I like the addition of Cesar Hernandez at second base, a good high on-base percentage guy. The pieces are there for the Indians to be league average or better offensively. And if they can do that, I think they've got a chance to make some noise here. They've got a little bit of depth. Jordan Luplo murders left-handed pitching. Delino DeShields Jr. is a good defensive player, will be used as a pinch runner. But, you know, what do you get from Christian Arroyo? What do you get from Jake Bowers? A lot of questions here. The Indians do have some prospects that are kind of close, like a Nolan Jones. Uh, George Valera is a guy that could maybe hit at the MLB level right away. You know, what do they kind of do here? As a team... To Rich's question at the top of the show, as a team that could be interested in cutting some payroll here, what do they look like once September rolls around? This should be a dominant rotation. Even in this format, this very unique format, Bieber, Clevenger, Carlos Carrasco, who despite battling leukemia last year, is going to play this season. Again, obviously a higher risk type of player, but he's said to be stretched out to go six innings already. Aaron Savale, I thought he was poised to take the biggest leap of any Indians pitcher this season. Zach Plesak, he spent a lot of time working down in Florida with a variety of different baseball experts. The Indians' rotation should be great. And this is something that could set them apart from other teams because they can get some higher workloads out of their starting pitchers. But as I've talked about a lot here already, I think bullpens are very, very important. And the Indians have some major bullpen questions. Emmanuel Class A, he's suspended for the season for a banned substance. Brad Hand was very good early last year, then was hurt in the middle of the season. Got it back a little bit late in the year, but wasn't as dominant. James Karinchak, he's got potential to be very dominant. But other than that, I don't love this bullpen. You know, I, I don't think a guy like Nick Whitgren and his, uh, you know, his profile is all that sustainable. 
Uh, you know, they got guys like Oliver Perez I'm not necessarily a huge fan of. They do have some really good young arms. Guys like Nick Sandlin, Cam Hill, Kyle Nelson. They've got some really good young arms coming up through the system from a bullpen standpoint. And they also have guys that, you know, are starters by trade, but maybe they could be bullpen guys. In a Logan Allen, Scott Moss, Tristan McKenzie, Eli Morgan. They've got really good pitching depth throughout the system. But not having a minor league season really hurts because what the Indians have typically done with their pitching development over the last few years, they get command guys and they increase their strikeout totals as they come up through the system. A guy like an Eli Morgan, a guy like a Scott Moss, stuff like that. The best examples are Savali and Plesak and even Shane Bieber especially. So not having that minor league season really hurts. So do the Indians accelerate some timelines for guys? Because the guys in that bullpen, Adam Plutko, Jeffrey Rodriguez, stuff like that, these guys aren't fixtures. They could accelerate timelines for their young relievers, and they could make that conscious decision. And of course, furthermore, do they trade Francisco Lindor? You know, they they probably should have traded him already. They didn't. Now they get this abbreviated season, only one more year of control next year. Do they trade Lindor if somebody wants to pay that price for him with that August 31st deadline? I don't know. You know, I'm not sure. The Indians traditionally start very slow, play very well in the second half. What does that mean for them here this season? Again, I don't know. I'm not sure what to expect from this team. The pieces and parts are there. All the talent in the world is there. How does it play in this 60-game format? I have virtually no idea. The Detroit Tigers season win total 21 and a half, uh, about 12,500 to win the World Series, 6,600 to win the AL pennant. At least there's this. The Tigers are interesting this year. Last year, they were not interesting at all. I actually thought they'd be a little bit better than they were. Uh, I kind of sold my stock in that very, very quickly. This will be a terrible offensive team. That will not change. I don't care about the level of variance in a 60-game sample or anything like that. This will not be a good offensive team. It's a bad park for offense. They're a low average, low on base percentage team. They add CJ Crone and Jonathan Scope, trying to get some power, trying to get decent years out of them to then spin them for prospects. That's going to backfire now because no one's going to take those guys who are one trick ponies, I don't think, for the month of September. Their only tools are power, and that doesn't work at Comerica. So this offense will be awful. However, the pitching side for the Tigers is very interesting this year. Now, right now, out of the gate, the expectation, at least for um, Jason Martinez over at Roster Resource, is Matt Boyd, Jordan Zimmerman, Yvonne Nova, Daniel Norris, Spencer Turnbull. And I do really like Spencer Turnbull, by the way. A guy that you know limits hard contact, got very unlucky last year with a lot of his metrics. Michael Fulmer's out with Tommy John. In their 60-player pool, Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, Matt Manning, Alex Fado, they've got their future rotation on their 60-man roster here. And this is a team that will not be good. At least I don't think so, and obviously the win total suggests that at 21.5, the expectation being that they're going to lose you know, two-thirds of their games, basically, with where that win total is. So the Tigers... As the season goes along here, have some very difficult decisions to make. 
I think Casey Mize and Matt Manning are about ready to go. So with that in mind, how long is a guy like Yvonne Nova in this rotation? How long is Jordan Zimmerman in this rotation? Because he's a sunken cost already. They finally get out from under his contract at the end of this year. Do you bother giving that guy, you know, 60 innings? Why? It's a sunken cost. And if he doesn't like it, tough shit. He's gone after the year. I'm giving 100 innings to Casey Mize and Matt Manning. That's my plan if I'm the Detroit Tigers. So that's the tough thing here is that you piss off veteran guys, maybe hurt their future earning potential. Maybe that hurts you in terms of, you know, in terms of uh, signing free agents down the line. Daniel Norris, right? He's 27. All hope is not lost. But he's only shown minor flashes over the last few seasons. So why not put Casey Mize and Matt Manning in the rotation? Over Zimmerman or Nova or Norris, something like that. So the Tigers are going to be really interesting, I think. And and those are guys, too. They're going to go through growing pains. But they've got a lot more upside than what's currently in the rotation outside of Boyd and maybe Turnbull, who, again, is just kind of a personal favorite. Also, this Tigers bullpen doesn't look very good. So do you maybe try moving a guy like Scooble or Fado out into the bullpen for a little bit to give them some experience? Because that's the biggest pr- – there are two big problems not having minor league baseball this year. Promising hitters can't see live pitching, and promising pitchers can't see live hitting. The way to do that is to put them on your major league roster. So the Tigers have some choices to make here for the benefit of the future. And I think, personally, I'd go with the upside. And if they go with the upside, maybe they're better than 21 and 39. Maybe they play a lot of unders in that low offense environment with a bad offense and a good pitching staff. That's a really interesting one to me to where – this could be a team that goes 15 and 45, and I'm not surprised. But 25 and 35, if they upgrade the rotation, isn't that far out of the realm of possibility? That's a really interesting season win total, I think, in a variety of ways. Kansas City Royals season win total 24 and a half. Again, 12,500 for the World Series, 6,600 for the AL pennant. The Royals could have a decent offense. Whit Merrifield is a hitting machine. And Alberto Mondesi, a speed guy with a little bit of power. Jorge Soler's 40 homer season last year was very legit. Top 5% in exit velocity and barrel rate. That's a legit offensive profile. Hunter Dozier's fine. Mikel Franco gets a new head start or a new uh, fresh start. But they don't have a lot of depth. They don't have a lot of prospects that are close, that are coming up through the system. Bobby Witt Jr., their top prospect, only 20 He's not really ready to go yet. There's not a lot of depth for this Royals team. They can ill afford injury and or illness here. To me, again, I think the Tigers at least have a ceiling. I don't really know if the Royals do. But again, 24 and a half is their win total, so not much margin for error. You need them to be a really, really bad ball club to cash the under on that one. I do think it's a possibility. This pitching staff is not good. I don't like Brad Keller's profile as a you know low strikeout guy, high ground ball guy. That's fine, but he's subject to very high variance. Danny Duffy might be okay in this format, but you know it's been a while since he's been a really effective starter. 
Jake Junis is a punching bag. I don't like him. Mike Montgomery might be the best starting pitcher of the group. He could maybe run a 390 FIP or something like that. Jorge Lopez, just not a big fan. Low strikeout guy. Doesn't miss a lot of bats. I don't like this rotation. There's no depth to it at all either. You know, they don't have prospects like the Tigers. They could slot in. They just don't have much of anything. The bullpen is okay. I don't think there's a lot of upside with that group. Ian Kennedy will probably be traded. He's a very good trade chip. Scott Barlow is fine. The reclamation project of Trevor Rosenthal could be a bust. Probably will be until we see otherwise. Greg Holland is back around as a non-roster invite. Not much in the prospect department for this team. Marginal drafting and developing. They're not a team looking to cut money, though. John Sherman took over as the primary owner. Previous owner David Glass passed away over the offseason. Sherman was a minority owner in the Indians, which is why they kind of lost some of their you know, freedom in terms of a capital standpoint. But John Sherman will spend some money with Kansas City here. So they're not a team that's going to dump off people, but they just don't have a whole lot to get excited about. Again, I think the offense could be okay, but the pitching staff probably won't be. The offense will probably be bottom third, certainly bottom half. They won't be a good team. I don't think there's a lot of upside with the Royals. Uh, but, you know, again, I mean, in a, in a small sample size, you know, subject to variance format, yeah, who knows? The Minnesota Twins, their season win total 34 and a half, 14 to 1 to win the World Series, 7 to 1 to win the AL pennant. Great offense. You know, they added Josh Donaldson like 30 years ago back in December. Bench depth is a little bit of a question, but one through nine, this may be, this may be the best offense in the American League. One through nine, they're very, very good. Lots of high on-base percentage guys. Lots of high slugging percentage guys. A lot of things to like about this Twins offense. And in fact, they may even upgrade. Losing a guy like C.J. Crone, losing a guy like Jonathan Scope, both one-trick ponies on the slugging percentage side, low average, low walk rate kinds of guys, they could be an even better offense with a guy like Luis Arias. And again, with Donaldson now, slotted into the equation as well. The Twins' offense is great. On the pitching side, they added Kenta Maeda. They added Homer Bailey. They add Rich Hill. Rich Hill was probably going to be limited for the first couple months of the season. Now with this delayed start, he might be ready to go. Tons of bullpen arms for the Twins. A very creative, very intelligent front office. I would expect some innovation out of them. I would expect aggressive managing from Rocco Baldelli, they're set up very well here. You know, they they don't have a ton of prospects. They've got some guys here and there. But one thing that's different for the Twins relative to all the other teams in this division is that they don't have to worry about sacrificing anything this season for the sake of development. The Indians, they have questions. You know, do they play Nolan Jones? Do they, you know, use some of their pitching depth? Do they use some guys in a bullpen capacity? The White Sox, same thing with uh, Kopech and Dunning. The Tigers, obviously, as I just talked about. The Twins don't have to worry about that. So that's a team where what you see is what you get with their Major League roster. They're not going to sacrifice their chances of winning something for the sake of experimenting with minor leaguers. And I think to a degree, that helps them quite a bit. They've got a full focus on winning other organizations are walking a fine line of we want to win 
oh, we got to get our guys some reps because there's no minor league baseball this year. So the Twins are a very smart, very savvy, very intelligent organization. I think that helps them in this format. I do think that one future you could consider is the Twins to win the Central Division. Uh, we don't have any odds on that right now. They should be a they should be a slight minus money favorite. I think anything plus money is a good play here. They just don't have any of these other worries and considerations that some of these other AL Central teams have. I think they're very well equipped for this format. They've got the best bullpen in this division. I Twins to win this division is a pretty good futures look. If you've got money burning a hole in your pocket and you got to play something, I think that's the future here in this division. The Twins should win this division because they have a full focus on winning. And the other teams do have a lot of other considerations. Coming up on Thursday, I'll do a five and fly for the AL West. A lot of stuff to talk about there with that division, to say the least. All right, real quick look at the KBO weekend ahead here. I know I'm running a little bit long with this show with the Monday Mailbag and some of the other talking points. KT at Kia, LG at Doosan. Remember, these two teams share the same home ballpark. Doosan, just the home team now for this series. Lata and Hanwa, NC and SK. And finally, Samsung and Kiwum. KT at Kia here is a pretty interesting series because Kia's got some very significant injury concerns. Kim Sun Bin who's batting 378, 462 on base, 467 slugging. He's out. Also shortstop Ryu Ji Hyak, 281 hitter, 458 on base, 524 slugging. So Kia probably without their second baseman and their shortstop for the rest of July. They've scored 6.2 runs per game at home, which is where they are here for this series. 3.9 runs per game on the road. So offensively, they've been much better at home, but now they're missing a couple of key pieces from that lineup. Games in Guangzhou, which is where Kia's home ballpark is, 11.2 runs per game. Kia games on the road, eight runs per game. Games much higher scoring at home as opposed to on the road. KT, different story. At home, their game's over 12 runs per game, They've scored 6.3 runs per game at home. They've scored just 5.3 runs per game on the road. So the question is, does this KT offense travel on the road to what is obviously a pretty good offensive environment? How does Kia do without two big bats? It's J Seong and Im Ki Young in game one here on Tuesday. I believe Lee Min Woo and Drew Gagneau in the other two games for Kia. Joe Byung-Wook and Odrissimer Despagne for KT should be a higher scoring series here. But again, that Kia offense kind of watered down a little bit without a couple of their better hitters. So an interesting series there to say the least, but probably will have some high totals in this one. So if you're betting overs, you'll be betting into some pretty high numbers. LG and Doosan here. Doosan is the home team. They've played LG six times already. They did that as a road team. In fact, what's very odd here, Doosan as a home team, in their home games, 4.4 runs per game. In their six home games against LG, they've scored 45 runs in those six home games. That was uh, June 19th to the 21st and May 5th to the 7th. So if we incorporate those six road games for Doosan, they've actually scored 5.1 runs per game at home. 
LG has scored less than five runs per game at home. So maybe a lower scoring series here, but that one a few weeks ago in, in June was a very high scoring affair. Something else to keep in mind, I don't remember the exact number, but I saw this after the series three, Doosan and LG. Doosan has dominated LG head to head. I mean, it is really bad. I'll have it on the stat in the article over at bangthebook.com today, but Doosan has dominated LG in their head-to-head meetings. So a little bit of a mental edge for the Bears here in this series. Chabu Chan and Lee Young-Ha will be the pitching matchup on Tuesday. Lee Young-Ha has not pitched well for Doosan. He'll have to straighten things out a little bit. Park Yong-Gi and then Raul Alcantara will be the other two starters for Doosan. And I believe Casey Kelly and Tyler Wilson for LG. So we're going to get some low totals in this series here, to be sure. Lata and Hanwa. Hanwa's only scored three runs per game at home. They've only hit nine home runs in their 24 home games. Lata's only scored four and a half runs per game on the road. So this could be a lower scoring series here between these two teams. Jang Wan Sam and Jang Shi Wan in the opener on Tuesday. I think Dan Straley and Warwick Sopold get together on Wednesday. I believe that's the pitching matchup there. Lata's been a much better team at home where they're 15 and 9. They're only 9 and 18 on the road here this season. So maybe a chance for Hanwa to actually win a couple of games here in this series. But Lata with the much better bullpen. So that will be a tricky series of handicaps there for Lata and Hanwa. NC and SK. Kuchang Mode on Tuesday. He'll face Moon Sung Wan. That should be a great pitching matchup. SK does avoid Drew Rasinski and Mike Wright in this series. So instead they'll get Choice Sung Young and Lee J. Hack. Games at SK's ballpark, only averaging 8.3 runs per game. Only 45 homers have been hit in 27 games at SK's ballpark. Interestingly enough, in 23 road games, NC has hit 36 home runs. So they've taken their power show on the road. Can they do it here? I don't know. This is a very good pitcher's park at SK. The importance of the NC bullpen could be magnified a little bit here if we get some lower scoring games. So SK underdog run line, SK alternate run line, maybe ways to look here in this series because NC doesn't have their best pitchers going after Kuchang Mo. And that NC bullpen, as we've talked about a lot, has just been very, very bad. Finally, one more series here, Samsung and Kiwum. David Buchanan off the complete game. He'll face Kiwum here on Tuesday against Kim J. Wong. Spot start for the reliever turn starter for Kiwum. Kiwum has some SP or uh, some starting pitching questions here. Han Hun He, he's not on the active roster right now. Uh, Eric Jokic, I believe, will go in the third game of this series, I think. But these are two of the better bullpens here in the KBO. A good test for Juan Tay-In of Samsung. He'll pitch after Buchanan on Wednesday. Samsung, 5.6 runs per game at home, 4.6 runs per game on the road. Could be a lower scoring run environment for this series with a couple of pretty good defensive teams, a couple of pretty good bullpens. So if you find some high totals in this series, maybe you take a look at some unders between Samsung and Kiwum. Once again, I'll do the KBO article through uh, the rest of the week here. Not going to do it after that point going forward. We'll try to talk about a little bit of it here on the Betters Box 
at least up until the MLB season hopefully starts on July 23rd. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.